The first family has COVID-19 and our prayers go out to them. But what does this mean for the presidential debates? And the Chicago mayor goes full Rona destroyer. And MSNBC contributor says that we should have a committee that vets presidential candidates so that we don't end up with another Trump. Well, we've got that and much more coming up right now. Hello there. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I'm Hillary Kennedy filling in for Sarah Gonzalez while she is at home enjoying, hopefully enjoying her maternity leave with her beautiful new son. And of course, it's Friday, so we had to bring in the VIPs. We have Mr. Pacre from Pacre Unleashed at the table. Hello. And Rob Eno, our Blaze Media critic. Good to have you back hey, this week, great Rob. Great to be here. All right. So I think, you know, it was such a crazy week this week. I don't think any of us necessarily saw this coming, that we would wake up this morning and find out that President Trump tweeted that he and the First Lady have tested positive for coronavirus. But he did get up this morning and say, he said this Thursday evening, excuse me, tonight, Flotus and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We'll get through this together. Um, and this came on the heels uh, of his tweet saying that his longtime aide, Hope Hicks, had tested positive for the virus. He said, Hope Hicks, who's been working so hard without even taking a small break, has just tested positive for COVID-19. Terrible. And they indicated that they would go into quarantine anyway. But um, his physician, Sean Conley, the president's physician, confirmed that they do both have the, the coronavirus. And he said they're both doing well. They plan to remain at home within the White House during this time. The big question with all of this, though, is... Is this going to change the second debate first and foremost? I mean, is this going to change the, the trajectory of that? I think it has to, right? It, it, it was two weeks from yesterday. Uh, there's almost no way he can do an in-person debate. I, I don't know if they can rig something up where, you know, they're doing it online and maybe he's in a different place than Biden and the moderator. But I, I don't think there's any way they do an in-person uh, debate at this point. Um, and if he gets really sick, of course, he's not going to be in any shape to do that. But I, hopefully that won't happen. How do you think this is going to affect his rallies? Because, I mean, he's been ramping up, keeping it going, firing mm -hmm. on all cylinders. He's not. Those are over. Those, those are over. I, I don't think there'll be another one before. There, there mm -hmm. may be one like the weekend before the election, but there's Doubt not going to be um, they're not going to be on the pace and on the schedule. They, now, he might have <coughs> surrogates go do them. Mike Pence might go do rallies. But, you know, a Mike Pence rally is not a Donald Trump rally. So. <laughs> <laughs> in any sense of the word. Right. Um, but, but, but Mike Pence, I don't think, leaves. Mm. I don't think the Secret Service lets Mike Pence leave the Naval Observatory. I mean, I think yeah. he is in the, that's the vice president's residence, is the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. Um, they, they have to have gone into succession protocol, um, that mm -hmm. sort of stuff with this. I mean, it, it could be a mild flu, right? I mean, that, that's what this could be for him. You mm -hmm. know, it's weird to say that we've gone into succession protocol for a respiratory illness but i mean that looks like i would imagine that that's what the secret service have gone into well so how do you think the i mean we've already seen a few ways that the left is using this against trump but what are some other ways you think they're going to start using this to their advantage oh like you know with the, the mask hysteria um they'll insist on masks uh they you know they might they might start on the lockdown talk again stronger than they already have uh it's just and with him they're just going to continue to pour it on with him that he he didn't believe this was a big deal he tried to downplay it uh you know we're going to hear all of that stuff mm -hmm. it's going to be never ending and we're going to hear the things like michael moore saying things like my friends have joked i've got you know left-wing friends i think you know but we all do that 
oh, this, he really doesn't have it. The media is accurately reporting that he said that he had tested positive for coronavirus. I mean, that those are going to be the conspiracy theories because that's mm. where we are in 2020, right? I mean, that's they're going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, he just did it to to take the heat off of his um, take the heat off of his tax returns and the white supremacist stuff and all of that sort of thing. That he really doesn't have it. They just concocted the story. I right. mean, that's another thing I think you're going to see the left try and play. They're going to make him prove it. Prove you've got the Rona. Pretty high risk. Yeah. If that's what he's doing, because we're in the home stretch of the campaign. Yeah. This is a really bad time to get COVID and yeah. be uh, White House locked. You, c- you can't be locked in at this point of the campaign, but he is. Well, the, the good news is that Vice President Mike Pence and his wife, Karen, they have tested negative for COVID-19. Uh, Pence's office announced that they tested negative this morning for the virus. And uh, Dennis O'Malley, he's the press secretary for the vice president. He announced Uh, As has been routine for months, Vice President Pence has tested uh, for COVID-19 every day. And this morning, he and the second lady tested negative. They remain in good health and wish the Trumps well in their recovery. Boy, I tell you what, I mean, Melania did tweet saying that they're actually feeling good. They just have postponed all their upcoming engagements because they want to stay safe. What do you think they're going to do with the vice presidential debate? Do you think that's going to change anything there? I, I think the vice presidential debate goes on because I think neither of them have it. Um, unless, like we said, the Secret Service says you can't leave, um, you can't leave the, the Naval Observatory. But you're talking mm. about him every day. Can you imagine getting that thing ooh, every single day, getting That's that what test? I was wondering. Like every single so day. Jam, clear up your, <laughs> yeah. yes. into oh, your brain. Day? Yeah. It's I mean, is it cauterized by now? Is it like calloused? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder too because I, I had a good friend that tested positive for the virus and she was worried about the validity of the test because she'd heard how unreliable they could Uh. be so she got tested again twice and then both times came back negative oh wow so when i first heard that Mm. he and melania had tested positive i thought man i wonder how many of those tests they took just to be sure because Mm -hmm. some of them have been unreliable i don't know um, yeah, I think the I think the vice presidential debate will go off uh, as planned, but I can't think of a more boring debate than Mike Pence versus Kamala oh, Harris. Harris. I mean, uh, is anybody going to be watching that? I, I if <laughs> well, I didn't absolutely have to, I was going to say, I yeah, we will be. because we we will be. We, we have, have to. to. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the White House physician did say that they're that both uh, President Trump and his wife they're doing well. He promised that they're going to keep a vigilant watch over the president and the first lady. It just kind of begs the question, is Joe Biden next? I mean, mm. he was in close proximity. They, they already have a, a journalist who was on board Air Force One who was scheduled to travel with the Biden campaign today. And they were asked not to join the press corps accompanying the vice president to campaign events anymore, obviously, uh, just for safety reasons. But um, Biden is... He's already been tested today. I don't know if they've released the They have. Um, the, the, I, I saw before I came in, he okay, tested good. negative. Okay. Well, um, so, yeah, so he did test negative. And that's good news. Um, but again, it makes you wonder how many times is it gifted just to make mm-hmm. sure because Biden, I, I mean, I don't know their health records personally, but he seems he's quite a bit older than Donald Trump, right? And he, he seems well, a little more fragile, older, I would yeah. think. So yeah. that's, a little, that's a little scary. Plus, he's got dementia. So you've got that. <laughs> right. uh, Maybe they should have been testing for that instead, right? (laughs) Adderall cures COVID, apparently. Right. Well, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Boy, she loves Halloween. She dressed up as Rona Destroyer to lay out the Halloween guidelines. 
Okay, so here's the details with this. This seemed bizarre to me. Uh, she stood in front of the lectern at a press conference with fellow coronavirus-fighting fictional superhero, public health commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady, and the two flexed their muscles to pose before the cameras with some goodies in their hands. They had pails of candy. She wore a cape that read Rona Destroyer as she handed out the goodies to members of the press pool. Um, now, she did announce that trick-or-treating would be allowed, but that people are asked to stay on the move in groups of six people or fewer. She said, avoid sticking your hand into uh, candy bowls. Wait until you get home. Wash your hands before you eat your candy. Um, participants also were required to wear masks. Big surprise there. Uh, folks handing out candy, they're encouraged to provide hand sanitizer, practice social distancing. But house parties of any size and then haunted houses, those are prohibited. Now, the CDC issued guidance to the American public saying trick-or-treating is high risk. Um, and they're encouraging people not to do it. But uh, Chicago uh, Mayor Lightfoot said, no, that's unrealistic to ask kids to stay home on Halloween. She said this year more than ever, it's important to celebrate Halloween safely and responsibly. Not everybody thought this was a cute bit. Um, she got some, some jabs in on social media from people. One person said, this is literally the cringiest thing I have ever seen. A local radio show tweeted the message, these are not serious people. This is embarrassing. They are clueless enough already. Um, and then Chicago columnist John Cass, he said, Chicago murders are up 50% this month. Who on her staff told the Chicago mayor that this was a good idea? <laughs> I mean, does pulling a stunt like this at this time, does that seem a little out of touch with what's actually going on in the world? Or do you think this was... No, it seems a lot out of touch. Yeah. Um, Plus, she's been one of the worst mayors in America over the last several months of, with what everything that's going on and uh, with the way she has uh, treated people um, uh, going outside their home and the way she has treated the police compared to the way others are expected to treat the police. I mean, when you have, they said it was up to 140 officers that were uh, around and near her home guarding her neighborhood while other people are expected to be gun free and uh they're they're cutting back on the police and they're trying to defund them at the same time i mean she's done an awful job mm -hmm. awful job and as they said murders are up 50 percent this month and i think a similar amount for the year uh it's chicago's a mess shouldn't be doing trick-or-treating stunts at this particular point I, I, the the person that said that this is an unserious person is absolutely correct. I mean, in, in to Pat's point, Mayor Lightfoot said at the beginning of this thing back in March and April that if you were caught riding your bicycle for a long period of time, we were going to arrest you and put you in jail. I mean, right. and, you know, vitamin D is one of the biggest things that stops any respiratory illness, including COVID-19. She was telling people to stay in their homes. Um, as to the to, to the outfit, I mean, we, we saw that there has been research that said in Houston, one of the reasons that a, a new strain has become so contagious, not virulent, not deadly, is because of our overuse of hand sanitizers, Clorox wipes, all of these sorts of things that what we've actually done is created a superbug, mm -hmm. COVID, mm -hmm. that is more contagious. I mean, I don't know about you, like, like the... The whole use Clorox and everything still at this stage of the thing is ridiculous to me. Maybe it's not to the CDC. Maybe it's not to you guys. But I've not been sick this year at all. Like, I usually get two or three, like, sinus infections or colds or something. 
because I've been at home, I've not been sick this year at all. When we get to a point where we're all out back with people, mm-hmm. with everything we've tamped down this year, mm-hmm. it's going to be bad. Right. It's going to be really really bad yeah. and you know that's something that gets lost in all of this by the way can we put that the photo up again of her and the clorox there you can't get clorox either so right. it's not available to anybody so what an elitist thing to anywhere. do right yeah they uh the clorox company has announced that they're not going to be in stock again until next year sometime wow. maybe maybe next summer so I don't know where she's going to have people get Clorox she wipes. Some special privileges uh, there. Yeah. Well, she does, too, because she told Chicagoans they can't go to the, the hairstylist. And then she did, if you remember, uh-huh. uh, because she cares about her hair and her styling and the way mm-hmm. she looks. I guess other people don't. Well, I have to be on TV every day, don't you know? So I need right. to have my hair. Done. Perfect. Carrie, she and Nancy should maybe they should do like a salon date together <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi. So do you think people are going to celebrate Halloween this year? I mean, we're planning on handing out candy at our house, just, in, just in case. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to make it safe and all that good stuff for people mm-hmm. who, who are concerned. But we we want to keep it going as much as we can for all the kids in the neighborhood, for the kids that want to and feel safe doing it. My kids, uh, my youngest is now 20, so probably won't be trick-or-treating with them this year. <laughs> um, but the grandkids, I think uh, I think my kids are planning to take their kids out. And I usually go out with them, so I, I would imagine they will go out, yeah. Well, I think there's ways to do it, right, where you go to uh-huh. homes of only people you know, right. or you, know, you don't have to go to total strangers' houses. And I think most people aren't doing that quite to the extent they used to anyway, but I don't know. I think, I think there's probably be a uptick in air cannons and people just shooting. Shooting the, shooting shooting the candy. <laughs> like at the... <laughs> well, and a lot of the, the pre-wrapped, I mean, you can put them in little baggies and mm. all that kind of stuff. Too. I mean, there's a bunch of ways to do it, but I, the CDC, I do agree with uh, Lori Lightfoot that I do think it's unrealistic to expect children not to go out mm-hmm. and do anything for Especially since there's been like zero almost zero deaths maybe one of anyone under 19 children yeah right you know it's and they're showing we've got study after study after study even the washington post came out and said yeah we can't find any um outbreaks in schools everybody thought that people would have outbreaks Mm -hmm. in schools and it turns out like the united states is like the rest of the world and that their kids have been safe in schools right Right. is it the cdc that mentioned that you probably shouldn't put a a bucket outside for the kids just to help themselves because that yes that could spread things around a little bit right um so i guess you should dispense whatever you give right. out to i the like kids. the air cannon idea that's a great idea yeah. <laughs> it is a good idea <laughs> i'm gonna put my plan together for that maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you need a blaze blaze tv or blaze media air cannon there you there go. go good stand back on the sidewalk and i'll just shoot, shoot it, it shoot. Yeah. oh people would love that <laughs> all right we got to go to break we'll be back in just a minute with more yeah can you imagine we all have our <laughs> Air cannon guns just shooting candy at kids. Yep, I can imagine the lawsuits resulting. <laughs> exactly. I know for a lot of people, 2020 has just been a hard year. I mean, a lot of people have had some really tragic things happen, and it's been rough. But just to give you some perspective, there is a family in Washington that lost their home in a wildfire. And mm. then on top of that, all seven of them contracted COVID-19. So they are from Malden, Washington, and talk about suffering immensely over the past few weeks. Uh, Matthew and Jessica Graham, along with their five children, they lost their home and everything in it when a wildfire tore through their small town over Labor Day weekend. They were actually out of town. They were in Idaho visiting uh, Jessica's parents when they received word that a fire had sparked back at home. They were notified by a friend that the town library and the post office had caught fire and their house was directly in the wildfire's path. 
So shortly after, they received the devastating news that their house had been consumed and nothing was left except, thankfully, their dog and their chickens did survive. Um, the friend told them it was a total loss, and they said it was like a bad dream at first, just finding out that they were going home to nothing. 80% of the homes in Malden, Washington, were destroyed by the fire. Mm. But then... This poor family, they knew their nightmare wasn't over when they all started to feel sick with flu-like symptoms and later all seven of them tested positive for COVID-19. So they believe they first uh, contracted the virus from Jessica, the wife, from her parents and then unknowingly gave it to the other grandmother who had stepped in to watch the family's five children. Then they believe they unknowingly infected a family of nine who had welcomed them over for dinner that night. Um, and she said, it's just horrible realizing that people reached out to us and have been so welcoming and then we spread it to them. So they are quarantining in a hotel in Spokane Valley, Washington. Um, they all appear to be in good health. They're recovering from the virus, virus, excuse me, after experiencing symptoms. But they say their search for a new home has been significantly hampered by the infection. And they said it right now, they don't really have any plans. They said all we have are questions that lead to more questions and no answers. But they are remaining hopeful. The good news is um, there's a GoFundMe campaign that's been set up for the family. It's helped. So far, more than $20,000 has been raised to help them. And they said it has just been amazing. The community outpouring people we barely know or we don't know at all. They've reached out to offer to help us. So that part has been amazing. You know, and it kind of it kind of makes you think with COVID-19, is it not allowing us to take care of people and support people in the way we normally would have because we're afraid of getting the virus or infecting other people? Because I know it's been scary. A lot of people have been scared to even talk to their neighbors, much mm -hmm. less open their home to give them a meal or share a meal. It's kind of weird. I, you know, as overblown as I, I think the response to COVID has been, I'm a little nervous when people come over. I, I, you can't help but think about it and think about where they've been. I don't know where they've been. I don't know who they've been around. I, I don't know, it, they're not wearing a mask, they're in the house. It, it is a little nerve-wracking. So, yeah, I think it probably does affect uh, our generosity and whether or not we're going to invite people into our homes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got a group of people at the apartment complex that I live at that I hang out with. We all hang out all the time, sometimes in people's apartments, sometimes not. But, you know, I'm not going into an indoor restaurant, right? I'm not going to sit indoors at a restaurant. You don't? Not, not, not for I go outside. I eat at the patio. I do something like that if I'm going to mm -hmm. go to a restaurant. Um, I'm not ready to stay inside for a bunch of times, but I think what this shows too, is you said all seven said they were fine and it included some elderly people, grandparents, things like that. I mean, I say elderly, they, I mean, they could be a 48 year old grandparent for all I know, but um, grandparents and things like that, that, that the, vi the cases aren't deaths. The virus True. is less yeah. powerful right. than it was because <clears throat> that's what happens. I have friends that are PhD virologists that I've talked to. That's what happens with, with RNA viruses that aren't in the host animal. As they replicate, the replication error rate makes it less virulent, makes it less deadly. Even um, Fauci said that. Yeah, and, and it's what, more likely yeah, for it to be less virulent than more. And, and, and what's amazing is by stopping everybody from getting it, did we stop the less virulence from happening? You know, mm. people said it'll be gone by June, it'll be gone by July. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it would have if we would have let the number of people get it that needed to get it to make it less virulent by July. Staying inside, not letting getting people getting it without a vaccine, which has never been done for an RNA virus. There has never been a vaccine for this type of virus in the history of vaccines. They've tried. There's never been one. I don't know if there will be one. But if there's not one, we mm -hmm. have to let this thing run its course. 
And if we don't let it run its course in a period of time, is it going to be worse long term? Who knows? But, you know, science. Well, it is nice that we do have the option to have GoFundMes and things like that, where you aren't having to physically help someone, but you can still actually help and support them in that way. Because, I mean, it is it is scary. I mean, if you do have someone that's immune compromised or you yourself, it does make you less likely to want to physically help someone or invite mm-hmm. them into your home. Uh, our hearts go out to this family, the Graham family. We will be thinking of you. And, and like I said, there is the GoFundMe if you want to help donate uh, because they will be having to find a new home for seven people. And also, just going back to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, it just, it's such a contrast between those two where all those, there are people dealing with serious, serious problems and there she is dressed up wearing her Rona Destroyer costume. I don't know. It seemed like such poor timing for that. I, bad taste. All right, but I do have good news. If you are a pregnant woman and you live in San Francisco, but only if you are black or Pacific Islander. So that, that rules out a lot of us. Uh, the mayor of San Francisco wants to help pregnant women with the financial burden of having to care for an infant, but white, Asian, and Hispanic expectant mothers don't even bother applying uh, with, for help from the city's new program because it is only for black and Pacific Islander women. It's called the Abundant Birth Project. They announced it on Monday, and the public-private partnership, it's going to give, this is a lot of money in my opinion, $1,000 per month during a woman's pregnancy and for the first six months after the baby is born. Uh, The city's limiting the monies to only 150 black and Pacific Islander women who the city said have been on the wrong side of a longstanding racial gap in birthing outcomes. And the mayor also said Mm. they hope that this basic income supplement will be much bigger in the long term for the women who are able to secure it. She doesn't want them limited to just six months of post-birth help. The mayor wants two years of giving money to a group of moms selected by race. So their goal is to eventually provide two years post-pregnancy. They're saying it's an innovative and equitable approach that will ease some of the financial stress that all too often keeps women from being able to put their health first. Now, here's what they're citing, in case you're wondering, like, where they got this information from. They're citing that black women have the highest rate of preterm birth, which is when a baby's born too early. Black women also have a preterm birth rate of 14%, which is around 50% higher than white women who have a rate of about 9%. And then the infant mortality rate is also highest for black women at 10.8 deaths for every 1,000 births. And then the second, uh, Native, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women, they have the second highest infant mortality rate. Still, it's hard to imagine why that's, how that's legal. Isn't it? How is that not discrimination? Right. It's based on race, racist, sexist. Yes, I'm uh, I'm actually happy that a progressive left wing Californian mayor is actually not supporting Planned Parenthood and their destruction of African-American babies. Yeah, like it's, it's like that. it's yeah. completely anti term. I don't think they <clears throat> should be paying to, to, to have this. Um, I think it's also interesting that Hispanic women are not involved. I bet you that the. The rates are just as high with Hispanic women, but I mean, there's, I, I bet you the majority of births in the city of San Francisco are to people of Latino or Hispanic origin, just given the makeup, like it is here in, in Texas, of, mm-hmm. of the population mm-hmm. of the San Francisco Bay Area that's not, you know, the super 
are there really it's weird to me like there's not how do you still be a poor or, or a person that has no money and live in the city of san francisco i thought that, that's a really good question because, yeah. because of yeah. how high you know yeah the cost, all, of living. the cost of living is i mean i thought they gentrified that entire city yeah but i guess they haven't well the abundant birth project they said it's rooted in racial justice and recognizes that black and pacific islander mothers they suffer disparate health impacts in part because of the persistent wealth and income gap in the city Mm. I I just don't know if this is the best way to support a pregnant mother if you're saying, well, we're only going to help these these races of people and that's it. I mean, I, that just seems racist yeah. and sexist to me. There well, are a lot, of, a lot of single dads that live yeah. in the area, too. That just seems unfair. It is. And it's going to happen more and more often, I think, now, because uh, that's just the way we're trending. We're just trending toward... Yeah, whites, you don't you don't need anything. We're not going to do anything for you. But the black population and any other minority population, uh, we will super serve you. But uh, whites, sorry, we, you, you get in the back of the bus. We've just kind of turned everything around now. Yeah, I mean, I'll play devil's advocate, right? From a, a long-term actuarial table type thing, having more children born, and that that is a, a, a population that is overwhelmingly targeted by Planned Parenthood. There, there's no, I mean, if you want to go back and trace when Social Security started going upside down, it's the year that I was <clears> born, 1973, when Roe v. Wade was done. We stopped having a replacement population. I mean, a pyramid scheme needs a bottom of a pyramid. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it may be a good investment to do this just to make sure that Social Security solvent down at the end of the road. I mean, it's <laughs> a weird thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know. Well, the Proud Boys, we're still talking about it. We've got an interesting story about them coming up right after the break. You want to stick around for that? We'll see you in a minute. didn't know a whole lot about the Proud Boys until this week. I you can file this next story under things that you didn't see coming this week, probably, uh, because the leader of a northern Utah Black Lives Matter chapter held a press conference with a local Proud Boys group in South Lake City on Wednesday defending the group, which has been labeled by critics as white supremacists. The leaders from both activist organizations, they've been meeting together to try and find common ground. They called on Americans to come together in unity after months of unrest and divisiveness in the country. So let me give you the details on this meetup. Uh, Jakari Kelly is the leader of Black Lives Matter in Northern Utah and told the press that she called the conference because she wanted to set the record straight after the Proud Boys were mentioned during the presidential debate and accused of being white supremacists. Kelly was flanked by the Proud Boys local president, Seth, and also Chief Thad, both of whom only provided their first names. Uh, the Black Lives Matter leader explained that she's been meeting with Seth and Thad for the past several weeks to learn more about their views. And after she spoke to a few Proud Boys members during a protest, because they reassured her that they were there just to make sure nothing goes down, she sat down. They had a conversation about each other's myths that we heard about Black Lives Matter and about the Proud Boys. And she said, we came to realize we actually had more in common than not. And in order to combat evil and racism and hatred in this country, we do need to be able to reach across the aisle and have these tough conversations. She says, they're not white supremacists. These are proud American men. Adding that both groups have an issue with the media because they feel their organizations are not fairly portrayed. We mentioned this yesterday on the show, in case you missed it, the Proud Boys, they tout themselves as Western chauvinists who believe the West is the best. And they state that they don't discriminate based upon race or sexual orientation or preference. Now, Seth also wanted to point out, don't get it wrong. 
this isn't male chauvinism or anything like that. These are two different things. Um, so anyway, Thad said, I'll go out and say that the Proud Boys as a whole and behalf on our, of our entire national organization, we denounce white supremacy. Now, the group's been involved in several clashes with left-leaning activists in Portland and, and other places. Joe Biden invoked their name during the presidential debate. That's why we've been talking about it all week. And the president then was met with backlash for saying, stand back and stand by in regards to the group. So the next day he did clarify they need to stand down and let law enforcement do their work. So first of all, do you think America cares about the Proud Boys? Because we've been hearing it the left, all the, week. The left, the left does. The, the, the Proud Boys have been a leftist boogeyman for the past three years, right? They, they're, they're Western chauvinists because you think that Western civilization is the best way to structure a government, that, that, that a constitutional republic is the best way to structure a government, that Western civilization led to um, advances that let people's lives be the best that they've ever been. Capitalism across the country doesn't make you a white supremacist. Um, I, I said on social media, and I'll say it here, they must be the only white supremacist group in the entire world that has a black Hispanic as their leader. <laughs> I think something like 20 to 30% of the members are people of color. It's, it's a drinking group. It's, they, they have some things, you know, part of, part of their, their, their planks um, that I remember from watching some of the videos in the past are they're against pornography. They, they think you should, you know, procreate and not watch pornography. They, mm. You should do it when you're married. They think that, that you should have children to help save Western civilization. There's, there's a bunch of planks. Yes, they what get... What haters. Yeah, they what get a little rowdy. haters. But, but, you know, the whole, the whole thing about Trump saying let law enforcement, the problem mm. is, is law enforcement's not doing their job. So when law mm -hmm. enforcement doesn't protect you, it's incumbent upon yourself to protect yourself. Yeah, and when Trump said the stand back, stand, he got that phrase from Biden. Because Biden said something to him along the lines of, you know, why don't you tell the Proud Boys to stand down or something to that effect? I thought, yeah, I thought that was Wallace. It, I thought it was somebody maybe said it, was it, Wallace. it was Wallace. It might have been Wallace. And then Biden yeah. throws out Biden throws right. out Proud Boys, and he's like, yeah, Proud Boys. And then he kind of connected down, the two. Up, yeah. Bye, bye. Right, and he couldn't remember yeah. the exact phrase, and he got it a little bit wrong. Well, yesterday he actually denounced Proud Boys, which he probably shouldn't have done because, as he said, he knows nothing about them. Mm -hmm. And he 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 actually admitted that he knows very little about them. I knew very little about them until this week. I think most Americans are in that boat. I don't I don't think they know who the Proud Boys I mean, are. I, I've seen it on, on video before, so I'll share it mm. here. Um, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, they're drinking, you know, gangs, you know, you punch people and you get into it. Literally, like their induction ceremony is you get punched until you can name 10 or 20 breakfast cereals. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds like oh, the height of thing? white supremacists. Yeah, yeah, that is literally the, mm. that is literally how you get inducted. It's like into a Crips and Bloods Yeah, exactly. But it's, yeah. But I mean, what Blueberry, Frankenberry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, what if you're the person that's like, Special K, Grape Nuts, did, like, what if you crunch. get all the, like, healthy cereals? I'd be like, you're out. Like, I don't care if you can name 20. If they're all the healthy cereals, you're out. So do you think this is, all this talk about the Proud Boys this week, do you think it's kind of been a smokescreen so that we aren't focusing on Antifa anymore? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, yes. and you're not focusing on the first thing Donald Trump said when Chris Wallace said, will you denounce white supremacy? Sure. 
Like, he literally said, yes, I will denounce white supremacy. And then he said it twice more in that same segment. In that little itty-bitty thing, but Chris Wallace Mm -hmm. was too busy arguing over him and talking over him that he didn't hear the question. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not focusing on Antifa, who's actually burning down American cities, and and Black Lives Matter supporters uh, and activists who have also been engaged in in violence, surrounding vehicles and and clogging up roadways and and uh, beating people, pulling people out of cars and beating them. I mean, all of has Proud Boys have they done any of that? Not to my knowledge. So so let, let's talk about the Antifa thing, right? I don't know if you saw. There's a, a woman. I think it was a it was an op-ed, so it wasn't a straight news story. In the New York Times yesterday was basically Glenn Beck. She's a left-wing like op-ed person, was basically Glenn Beck, told the story of a photographer who was sympathetic to Black Lives Matter, who went to these events and kept seeing these guys in like black over in the side, orchestrating everything. Mm-hmm. And so he dressed up in black because he wanted to like make it look like he was one of them to see what it was. He thought it would be white supremacists. Like the left has been telling people that it's white supremacists directing the bad. He's like, no, no, these are like committed communist anarchists yeah, that oh, want yeah. to bring around revolution. Right. Like, like, like literally this person saw it. And, you know, that's what Kelly McEnany said yesterday. You know, when they say it's an idea, Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Like an Antifa, an idea doesn't burn down a city. Right. An idea doesn't right. loot. An idea doesn't put bricks in the middle of the street in a pallet that nobody knows where it comes for right before a Black Lives Matter rally. Mm-hmm. An idea doesn't, you know, gin people up that in Boston, for instance, that had a peaceful protest when this Black Lives Matter start, stuff started happening. Then as it got dark, these kids in black all came up and started riling people up after there was a beautifully done in, in, in good taste and should have been done. Black Lives Matter protests, it's these people are what's giving the average person that attends one of these protests mm-hmm. a bad name. Yes, Black Lives Matter, the organization was founded by communists. They're probably mm-hmm. in league with the Antifa types that are, that are doing it. Yep. But, uh, you know, if you're going to a Black Lives Matter protest because you're upset at something, the chances of you being a communist or being a, a revolutionary are, are low. But it's easy mm-hmm. to manipulate people. It's easy to get people to act the way you want to do it. And these are professionals at doing it. And that's what they're doing. That's, I think that's the takeaway I got from the story is something that I found hopeful was these are two groups that are portrayed in the media as being complete and polar opposites. And they're saying, you know, we sat down and we talked and we have a lot of things in common and mm. we're trying to find that common ground and do something good. Whether you agree with what they stand for or not, at least they were willing to sit down face to face and have a discussion and be respectful. And the fact that this BLM leader said they aren't white supremacists and came out and said, you know, they're actually trying to do some good things. I felt like that was at least something positive that came out of it. Mm-hmm. At least. All right. Well, we've got more coming up uh, about the moderator for the second presidential debate. Some interesting stuff there. Stick around. We'll be right back. Second presidential debate, it is still up in the air pending what's going on with President Trump's health, but they have chosen a second presidential debate moderator. The Commission on Presidential Debates chose C-SPAN political editor and host of the network's Washington Journal call-in program, Steve Scully to be the moderator on October 15th in Miami if it does happen. Now, he's largely considered an old-school, unbiased journalist who was described as having a famously calm demeanor uh, in a recent bio by Marie Claire magazine. 
So one might think his presence at the debate would be a welcome addition after the insult-laden throwdown the other night. But the Daily Wire happened to report yesterday there's some areas of Scully's background that are likely to raise some eyebrows with conservatives at least. Uh, namely that he worked as an intern for then-Senator Joe Biden in college and then later worked as a staff assistant <laughs> That's fair. for Senator Ted Kennedy in his communications office. Totally fair. So, I mean, <laughs> it is true that being partisan, it doesn't always mean that you can't be fair, but it is worth considering what the Democratic response would be if a former Trump employee were slated to moderate a debate. Oh, yeah. It just, he, and he was actually, Scully was a backup moderator for the 2016 presidential debates as well. He, his services weren't needed back then, but he said, I am ready to go. So if the second debate happens, how do you think this is going to affect it? And do you think if the roles were reversed, that it would be a totally different ballgame? Absolutely, it'd be a different ballgame. Yeah, and now I, I couldn't pick steve scully out of a lineup i i don't know who he is i don't know his politics but that sounds like it might be uh something that might give him some bias there mm -hmm. and you know i i mean you think of chris wallace as being from fox news so he's going to be pretty down the middle but he wasn't uh, and he's, he's a registered a democrat yeah. um and his wife is a big politico uh th party thrower in washington dc and wants to get along with all of these people and so he's got to answer to her as well as uh, his Democrat lover, <laughs> loving base. And so he didn't turn out to be, to me at least, um, right down the middle. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't exactly a fair moderator. Uh, he blamed everything on President Trump when a lot of it came from Trump. But I, I thought a lot of the chaos came from Biden as well. Mm -hmm. Can Steve Scully be reasonable and, and non-biased? I, I don't know, but I, I doubt it based on everything we've seen from everybody else. Well, it's hard to see that tweet that Scully put out with his standing next to Joe Biden that says, you know, gotta love the, B, the VP. I mean, it yeah. looks like they're right. buddies. And like that was 2016. That said yes. Biden bash 16. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think, too, because I, I, I had some friends that, that, that thought that the campaigns got together and picked who would be the thing, right? They thought that, mm -hmm. no, the... the the Commission on Presidential Debates yeah. clearly says that the campaigns have no input. But but this just goes to prove that Washington, like you said, is incestuous. Mm -hmm. If you look at if you look at a roster of who works in the news media and who they're married to in like administrations and things like that, it's all left wing. Um, you For know, sure. it's, it's funny to see Wallace say that he's a Democrat because a lot of journalists will hide behind the nonpartisan thing and not actually register in a party yeah. to say that they're not. And they, oh, I'm high minded and I don't even vote because, you know, I cover this stuff and I wouldn't vote. But a friend of mine said on, on a social media post that I had it, the exact thing that Donald Trump should do if he were to go to that debate and that guy was there. She just look at the screen when it starts and goes, America, I just want to tell you. This guy used to work for Joe Biden, and this is who the media picked to do this debate. <laughs> and it goes to show you mm -hmm. that it's all rigged and they're against you. It mm -hmm. it, he could have this play right into his bailouts. Now, of course, yeah. there probably won't be a debate. Or if he does, he'll be like on a Zoom with, you know, a fake background of like the Trump Tower right. blowing, <laughs> right. you know, with fireworks or something behind it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he should he could play into this and go, they hate you. This this shows that they have no respect for you because out of every single left wing journalist in the world, they couldn't pick one that didn't used to work for Joe Biden. It's a good point. He could use it for, to his advantage. Mm -hmm. I agree.
All right, quickly, I want to get to this. Um, an MSNBC contributor says bipartisan commission is needed to vet presidential candidates to stop another Trump from winning. And we have a clip of that. Why wouldn't he just come clean and say, yep, these are my creditors? You say because we don't know this information, it makes him the most vulnerable president in our history. Wow. So this is the NBC News he national security contributor. Okay, he's he seems to think that this is the most vulnerable president in our history to compromise by foreign governments and is a national security threat. He believes the media and the 60 million people who voted for Trump in 2016 failed to properly vet him before he became president. And the remedy mm. is to have a bipartisan committee instead of the American people. That's constitutional. <laughs> That's like a super constitutional yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. But it goes yeah. to show the hubris of D.C. It's the whole... Ridiculous. It's the whole, you know, state. They, we, they call it the deep state, but the whole administrative state. They think that they're smarter than everybody else. You know, it, and it really doesn't matter who the president is. And that's why they hate Trump is because he's trying to destroy the power that these like long term D.C. insiders have. It's the same thing as Dianne Feinstein saying that, you know, we need a commission to say who's a real journalist and who's not a journalist. So we only give First Amendment protections mm -hmm. to the people that get it. These people think that they're smarter than you. They yeah. think they're smarter than me. I I'll tell you, you know what? There was a commission to vet these people. It's called the, the, the 60 million people or more that voted. Uh -huh. People voted. People, we, we live in a democracy. They, they talk about destroying democracy. They want like some special thing. But, you know, to that point, there used to be people that vetted it. We used to not let people vote for the president. The parties would pick the president and then the people would vote for the president in the end. We didn't have a primary system. We didn't have a caucus. But we had caucuses that would pick people that would go to the conventions mm -hmm. and then they would select a presidential candidate. So we used to do it that way. Do you want to go back to doing that way? Is that democracy? Right. It just seems like such an elitist move to say, like, well, you guys aren't smart enough to decide. We're going to put they think all we are. the... That's progressivism, though. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're the ranchers and we're the cattle. They're, <clears throat> they're the ones who are smart and we're the ones who just need to be led around and cattle prodded into our place in the stall because we're not smart enough to do it ourselves. That, that is quintessential progressivism. I'm not going to stand for it. No. I'm not going to stand for it. Don't not today, not it. any day. <laughs> All right, we've got yeah. our poll results coming up. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do 20 uh, breakfast cereals. We're going to cap off our Friday show with the poll results from yesterday's question. It was, did the first presidential debate change anything for you and 95.6 percent said nah it didn't not at all i want to know who the 4.4 percent are <laughs> that it did change something for them who are you and what was it that changed uh wouldn't you love to know that yeah. i'd love to know that because i feel like most people kind of made up their minds but yeah i don't I, I i sat on the air this week several times I, I don't know who these people are that haven't made up their minds how is it possible that anyone hasn't made up their mind here mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's the clearest choice we've probably ever faced in our lives i agree uh how how can you not decide on this uh, it's not hard <laughs> right. it's not hard well our question for today is are you excited excited about voting in the upcoming presidential election yes or no absolutely i am yeah yeah absolutely i it's weird too because in 2016 it's no secret that I wasn't a big Trump fan and did not vote for him. 
um, and never thought that I would ever consider voting for Donald Trump. But the last four years have proven me wrong about him in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, and he's done some things that I never thought he'd do. He's done some things that no president has ever done or would, I think, do. And this is just too critical now to vote for third party. It's just too important. Mm -hmm. And um, I just don't think that we can ever afford to have a Democrat win the office of the presidency again. Not just this year, <laughs> not just 2024, but ever. I mean, they're just too, too radical. It's gotten now. way far. Yeah, no, I, I, I will crawl over glass to go vote for Donald Trump at this point in time. Um, and I just didn't vote in 2016. Not only did I vote for, for him, I just... You didn't vote. I just didn't vote. vote. Which is like the first time in my life since I was 18 you that irresponsible I bastard. I am an irresponsible... <laughs> Look at that, I'm fired. <laughs> well, I hope you don't have to crawl over glass. Have a great weekend, Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.